voice last night because I was singing so much, uh, but we'll be all right, I'm sure. Uh, I did. You know, it's strange. Um, I, uh, I talked with one of, the, one of the men that was there last night and doesn't normally, uh, doesn't normally attend here, save man, save a long time, and he said half the songs we sang last night he probably didn't know. And uh, the reason I say that is this, uh, sometimes, sometimes we like certain, certain hymns. I'm one of those people, I love, I love certain hymns, they're, they're my favorites, you know. And uh, the sad reality, though, is in most churches, you know what you get? You get 20 hymns. And those are the only ones they ever sing. The average church... The average, even good church like ours that believes the way we do and they sing the old hymns and they do all that stuff, they get about 20 to 40 maybe hymns that they'll sing in an entire year. Brother Andrew and I have looked over the list. We've tried to make sure. We do not want that to be us. Okay? So you go, well, I don't really know that one that well. Good, sing it. Uh, Because the sad reality is most people don't remember any of those and that's a sad truth. Uh, there are some amazing hymns that uh, even even ones that Brother Andrew and I don't even know. And you don't know them and we find them somewhere and they're old and you dust them off and you go, wow, that is amazing. And uh, go ahead and learn them. I highly encourage that. With that said, I do want to welcome our first time visitor, uh, Justin Legault is with us. And thank you for being here. hope it's a blessing to you. Make sure you make him feel welcome before he goes. Uh, grab two places in your Bible. If you would, uh, Psalm 25, Psalm 25, we're going to go there second, all right, so Psalm 25, hold that spot and go over to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and then we'll go over to Psalm 25. I'll give you a moment to get to both of those so you have them and That was First Chronicles 16, and then the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 25. Now, uh, here we are in Psalm or in First Chronicles chapter 16, and verse number 25. Well, let's back up a little. Verse 23, he says, "Sing unto the Lord all the earth; show forth from day to day His salvation." Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Uh, The Lord is great. Uh, Great is the Lord. I'm going to preach on the greatness of the Lord this morning. And uh, I I like this idea. So if uh, you're not excited this morning... You might want to get excited, otherwise this is going to be really terrible for you. Uh, you start thinking about the word great, and uh, of course the word great, uh, I, I don't know of, you know, you know the difficulty with the word great is? How do you quantify what great means? Right? Uh, how, do you, how do you explain what greatness is, and in the same token, how do you come up with something better than being great? Now, you start looking at stuff and, and you go, well, you know, uh, excellent. Excellent's still not as good as great. You know why? Uh, you put a king on a throne and you call them your excellency. But if you rule the known world, you know what they call you? Alexander the Great. Even the world knows that great is better than excellent. Uh, great is the Lord. You start looking over the greatness of who God is, and it's, uh, I wouldn't be able to do it in an hour, let's face it. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be able to do it justice, but you think about great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Ten times at least in the scriptures, he is just called great. He's just called great. That's who he is. He's great. Uh, he is great in certain areas, but he is just great. Uh, the psalmist asks in Psalm 77 and verse 13, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? 
Uh, it begs the, well, who's as great as he is? Uh, well, when the Lord looked around for somebody else to be a God like he is, uh, he said, is there a God like unto me? Well, I know not any. Uh, he knows everything, and he didn't know a God like him. Uh, who is a God like unto thee? I know not any. Uh, I, he doesn't know anybody. Who's so great a God as our God? I don't know anybody. The world tries to lump Christians, just, oh, you know, religious folk, just put them all together. Uh, you know, we all worship the same God. No, you don't. Uh, no, the Buddhist doesn't worship the same God that I do. Uh, the Muslim doesn't worship the same God that I do. Uh, the, the Jehovah Witness doesn't worship the same God that I do. The Catholic doesn't worship the same God that I do. Uh, all these folks, you can go ahead and pile them all up. You know what they don't have? They don't have the God that I have. They do not. He is not the same. And you can try to make them all feel better and, and put everybody together and all this stuff. I, I want you to understand very greatly, God is not, God is not the same to those people as he is to me. He's not the same God. Uh, I, I, I will go so far as to say my God is not the same as the God of a Calvinist. And he may throw a Baptist label on his church, but he's not the same God that I serve. They worship a God. They may talk about a Jesus Christ, but he's not the same one as mine. Now I'll just give you a few of these. Psalm 48 and verse 1, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of his holiness. Psalm 95 and verse 3, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Psalm 96, 4, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 104 and verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God. Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Psalm 135, 5, For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. That's how I know that I have an impossible task this morning. It's unsearchable. How do you find the end of God's greatness? Uh, you realize that the reason we use the word great for it is because you and I don't have a better word for it. He's great. <laughs> what else do you say? I mean, he gets called all sorts of other names, doesn't he? Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is called an all-knowing God. He is called the Creator. He is called... You keep going down the list, you know what you find? He's just great. When you try to sum him up in one word, the best you can get to is, he's great. He is both great in size and stature and status, but he's also great in how he treats you and I. He is great because he is God and he is holy and he is majesty and in his, in his wisdom is infinite and he stands there and you know what he is? He's just great. Every, every time you look at him, you know what you find? Whatever aspect you want to grab, you know what he is? He's great at that. You know why he's great? Because every attribute you want to go to, he's great with that too. Isn't that amazing? You, you ever know those people who are good at everything? Right? Those annoying people who you look at and you're like, really, you're good at that too? I mean, honestly? You know, Melanie... She's not here, so I get to use her as illustration. Um, uh, you know, last night, Uriah was amazed. Uh, she, grabbed, she grabbed her saxophone. Uh, she plays the saxophone, and uh, she plays very well. Actually, she hadn't played in a while, so she kind of dusted it off, you know. And uh, she started playing last night. Uriah was so fascinated that Mom was playing this weird-looking instrument thing out of her face, you know, and making cool, cool sound. And she, she plays that. She plays... The clarinet, she can play the flute, she plays the piano, she sings, she, you know. And when she was in Montreal, they were doing a, they were, the Cochrane's were starting an orchestra. And uh, they said, uh, you know, she was working with the orchestra a little bit. And she said, we've got more than enough clarinets. And a saxophone doesn't fit what you're trying to do. Uh, so you know what I'll do? I'll buy a trombone. Brother Getman. I don't know how quickly you picked up the trombone and just started playing. Probably really quick because you're one of those people too. I don't know. You're one of those people I don't really like that much for these kind of things, you know. And she goes, I'll just learn it in about a couple weeks. It'll be fine. I'm like, 
you're messed up. I don't like you. Uh, right? Those people, right? That they're, every time they do something, you're like, man, it turned to gold. Like, it's amazing. What in the world? How did that happen? That's God no matter what. No matter what, he's always great at what he does. He's great. When he got to creation, he was great. He was great. Who's built anything better than God has? You talk about a sustainable force. The world, let's face it, right? The world's coming to an end. We're all going to die. Greenhouse gases and emissions and, you know, and they can't figure out that one volcano does more damage than the rest of us do in a decade. But one volcano goes off and they're like, well, don't worry, the planet will just clean that all out all on its own. What's the big deal? But don't worry, you and I are trashing the place. Put out more damage in forest fires in a year than anything else. But don't worry, you and I, are, we're the planet killers, right? He says in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 6, For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. He is a wonderful God. He's a great God. He's great, and he is so great, he deserves all of our praise. But I gave you a second passage to look at. Psalm 25. You'll notice that wasn't in the list that I just gave you. Psalm 25. This is a Psalm of David. And he says in verse number seven, or verse number six, he says, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity. For it is great. There's something great about you and I too. And it doesn't seem very great. You realize that God is great, but our iniquities are great. You and I are exceeding sinful. The delineation of the greatness of our sin becomes very prevalent and it's even more magnified when you put us next to the God of the universe who spoke it into existence and is purely holy. And you put the greatness of who God is next to our great iniquity and you find that there is a great disparaging gulf between the two that should never be fixed. In reality, that should never be fixed. If God is just going to be just and holy, you and I, are in a whole lot of trouble. David figures out that his iniquity is great. You get back to Exodus chapter 32, and we won't turn to all these spots. Here's a bunch more. Uh, you say, well, I don't know about iniquity being great. Exodus 32 and verse 30, when, uh, of course, Moses is coming down from the mountain, finding out that they are uh, going ahead and worshiping false gods. It came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, ye have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord, peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Oh, well, I, I don't have any great sin. No idols, huh? We think we're better than we are. Well, you know, I haven't done what so and so has done. Okay, who's your idol? What's your idol? Well, what's an idol? An idol is anything you love and worship more than God. The problem is that most people go, well, you know, of course I love the Lord. But he's told them not to do something or he's told them to do something and their choice is I'm going to do what I want. Well, then at least you are your God. We live in a society today where you are ultimately God. 
What you want matters more than what God wants. What you want to do, how you want to run your life, how things are supposed to go for you. Your opinion matters more than what the Bible says. Your thoughts matter more than what God said about it. You want to do it your way. You want to go ahead and take care of things. You've got it. You don't really need God. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, including God Almighty himself. I am perfectly fine. And once a while, I'll call on him and ask him to take care of something. And then you say, don't worry, my sin, I don't have any sin. What are you talking about? Israel figured out they had a great sin. They had a wrong idol. They quit worshiping the God of heaven. David chooses that he's going to number the people of Israel. That doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? I just want to see how we're doing. Except he was commanded not to. Twice, he says in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and 1 Chronicles 21, he says, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. That's all it takes. Our iniquity is very great. God is great, and your iniquity is great. In Ezekiel chapter 9, he says, uh, in verse number 9, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, the Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. Isn't that the world you live in today? The world says, God, God doesn't care about us. There's no such thing. He doesn't matter. God doesn't matter. We don't matter to him. We do whatever we want. We'll fill the place with blood. And perverseness. God doesn't see anything. God doesn't even real. It's the world we live in. The world looks around and says, what does God matter? Who cares about him? I'll tell you why. Because he's great and your iniquity is great. And this morning I'm going to preach on the greatness of God. And that was just my introduction. So here we go. Father, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for your goodness. You are abundantly good. You're so merciful and you're so gracious and you're so long-suffering. And Father, the fact that we could even enter into your presence and be able to pray this morning is just a wonder at how great you are to us. And Father, I do pray you would help me. Lord, uh, the book says you're... Greatness is unsearchable, and so, Father, I know I can't really do it well, but, Lord, I do pray you'd help me to do justice as best I could. Father, you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to say what you want me to say, nothing more and nothing less, that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up and that he would be praised and that God would be glorified. Lord, I do pray that if someone here has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they'd realize that they are a great sinner, but you are a great God. And Father, I pray they wouldn't neglect a great salvation. Lord, once again, we do pray that you would bless our day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look over at, uh, you're in the book of Psalms already. Look over at Psalm chapter 57. Psalm chapter 57. I'm going to try and cover a whole lot of info real fast, okay? Now, not, not Brother Fielder fast. I think you might be able to take some notes and write some verses down and, uh, you know, catch everything I say, maybe, all right? Uh, but I do want to move quick this morning, just a little quickly. Uh, he says here in Psalm 57 in verse number 10, speaking of God, he says, for thy mercy is great onto the heavens and thy truth onto the clouds. Uh, the Lord is the character of God, ultimately, I want to start with. His character is great. Uh, the attributes that he holds are great to have, and he is also great in all of those areas. Now, oftentimes, folks magnify the idea of his holiness and the greatness of his holiness. And I will say this, if he's not holy, he's not God. He's a great God because he is great in holiness, he is holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. That is who he is. He cannot separate the fact that he's holy. If he does that, he's no longer God. But you and I realize that his greatness of being holy 
is the exact contrast of the fact that we are great in our iniquity. And if that is all he is, you and I do not get to approach ever. So you know what makes him a great God to us? Is that he, in his character, he is also great in mercy. He is great in mercy. That's what he just said right here. He is, thy mercy is great onto the heavens. It's great. He's got mercy all the way to the heavens for us. He goes ahead and in Psalm 108, verse number 4, he says the same thing. For thy mercy is great above the heavens, and thy truth reacheth onto the clouds. God is merciful, and his mercy is so great it reaches onto the heavens. He goes ahead and makes sure his mercy extends all the way up to his throne to make sure you and I can even get there. He says in Psalm 145 and verse 8, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Thank goodness he has great mercy. You know, someone who's done a whole lot of things wrong and they're in great iniquity, you know what they need? They need someone who will be great in mercy. Because if they're not merciful, you and I don't have a chance. By mercy and truth, you hear it over and again, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. How do you get rid of iniquity? Well, you get it, first of all, by mercy. Because <laughs> if you don't have mercy, there's no hope to fix. And truth comes in, and His truth is onto the clouds. Look at that. They're both right there for you. His truth still reaches upward into His glory, because without it, He doesn't have, he doesn't have anything to help you with. The truth is there to help you, help you recognize you've done it wrong, help you recognize what to do right, to help you how to get out of the place that you're in and get into the right place with God. That truth is there to make sure you can do it, and it is extended to you by the mercy of God that you could have any of those blessings. He's so merciful. He says in, verse, uh, in Psalm 86, in verse number 13, For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. For as the heaven, verse, uh, Psalm 103, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is thy mercy toward them that fear him. Yeah. Say, what got you out of hell for all of eternity? I'll tell you what got you out of hell for all of eternity, the mercy of God. If it wasn't his mercies, you and I would not have any hope. Numbers chapter 14, he says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according to, unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. You know what he's saying about the nation of Israel? He's saying, hey, God, I know you're merciful. I know you're great in mercy. And so because I know you're great in mercy, could you forgive us? Realize if God is not merciful, if he is not great in mercy, our great iniquity lands us in a lake of fire for all of eternity. You know what else is great about God? His mercy is great. His mercy is great, but he's also great in love. He talked about those compassions. He's full of compassion. He talks about how loving he is. He says in John chapter 15, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, strangely enough, you and I, we can't think of anything better than the idea that we would lay down our lives for somebody. That's the best, that's the best thing we could ever do to show our love is to lay down our lives for someone that we love. We don't actually do that for anybody we don't love. The military, they lay down their lives for their country, for what they love, right? They lay it down because of an ideal, of what they would like to preserve, right? They want to preserve the liberties and the freedoms that you and I obtained because of the price of men that have laid down their lives. Over and over again, they give their lives because they believe and they know and they love the country that they have stepped off of to go and fight somewhere else. They love the people they've left behind, but they love the nation for which they stand. 
You know what the Lord does? He says, when we were at enmity, when we were enemies, when there was a bitter hatred between the two because I'm holy and you're of great iniquity, I'll still die for you. He says, for when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That doesn't sound very great. Sounds great on his side, but we don't sound very great because we're in great iniquity. God shows, showcases his love toward man by showing off how much he loves even the fact that they're lost. He'll still come and save them. It's easy to die for a righteous man. <clears throat> the Bible says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He looks at us and says, yeah, you're, you're, you're wicked and I know everything you've ever done. I'll still die for you. That is love beyond measure. That is great love. That's love that ultimately, I don't even, I don't even comprehend that. I don't comprehend the love that God has for me. You talk about the unsearchable greatness of God. How do you figure out that God would love somebody like you? Michael was singing about it earlier. How do you figure that God would love you? How do you justify that in your mind, that a holy and a perfect and a clean and a, a God right here that you and I can't attain to, why would he love me? I don't even remember all the things I've done wrong. And without the blood of Christ washing it away, he wouldn't forget anything that I'd ever done wrong. He knows everything we've ever done and he still decides, I'll die for them. You and I, we do all the scenarios, right? You go ahead and you can talk about all the different things and you, you know, if, if you had this or this, which would you let die and who would you save and, you know, would you sacrifice the one to save a hundred or would you, you know, how many would it take and all the things, Right? Let's think about it like this. It's not a hundred random people over here. It's a hundred people you knew were murderers and rapists and hard criminals. Okay? It's people you knew are the most despicable people on the planet and your thought was, we should probably put them to death. I'm all capital punishment, in case you're wondering. I am for it. All right? If you're against it, you should read a Bible. All right? Uh, ask me later. We got all the verses. We believe in this life they ought to die. And you know what the Lord said? I died for them. I don't understand that love. I don't understand that. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. I don't understand that love. You talk about a great love from a great God? Why would he love me knowing all the things I've done? Why would he choose to lay down his life? There's no goodness here. There's nothing worthy of him to go ahead and go, well, yeah, no. I'll it's not like we took the hundred best. You took the hundred worst and said, hey, what will you do with them? I'll die for them. Look over at Lamentations. If you can get there, turn to Lamentations. It's right after Jeremiah. I'll give you a moment. Lamentations chapter 2. No, chapter 3, I'm sorry. Lamentations chapter 3. <coughs> the, Lord is, the Lord is so merciful and He is so loving that he has to figure out a way, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, he has to figure out a way that his holiness can still be all right and he can still love you enough to die for you. 
that the just would give his life for the unjust. That's the kind of God you have. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse number 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Well, I could preach on that all day. We deserve to be consumed. We deserve to die in this life and be put in hell until a great white throne judgment where we get a reprieve for just a moment and then God sentences us to a lake of fire for all of eternity and we have no excuse. That is what we deserve because we are great iniquity. That is what we have. He says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. You know, it's a good thing the Lord loves you. I don't know what else to say. It's a good thing He does. Because if He didn't, you and I would be consumed. And we would deserve every moment of it. Say, what do you mean about God's love? You realize that, that uh, you do things for people you love that you wouldn't do for anybody else. There's just certain things you do for them. There's certain things I'll do for my wife and kids. I'm not doing that for your wife and your kids. That'd be weird. I don't like them that much, uh, you know. I also probably shouldn't like them that much, amen? And the truth is, right, we do, we do certain things for our family, for close friends, for personal relatives. For, we do things for them. We don't do that for everybody because there's a level of love that is going on. And God looks at you and did more than anybody else has ever done. And unlike your family and unlike your friends and unlike all your closest people, he knows everything you've ever done. And he still does it. He says in verse 23, they are new every morning. You know, you woke up this morning and you know what you got? A fresh cup of mercy and compassion. You know why I think he has to do that? Because we probably ran out yesterday. We went to bed last night and he had fresh run out of compassion and mercy for us because we're that terrible. And he says, don't worry, making a fresh one in the morning. And you woke up this morning and he said, it's done right on time, here you go. My mercy and my compassion, here they are. Hey, by the way, they fail not. Because great is thy faithfulness. He is faithful. By the way, he is not just great in his mercy and he is not just great in his love. He is great in his faithfulness. You know, if God's not great in his faithfulness, if he's not the best at being faithful, when you and I get unfaithful, you know what he would do? He'd cast us off forever. He might slip and forget that he ought to be merciful and gracious and slow to anger and of great kindness. He might forget about that, and so he wouldn't be faithful. You realize you and I aren't real faithful, right? That's why he asked that question, and, and, but a faithful man who can find, looking around going, who's going to be faithful to me? Uh, You realize that all of this culminates in the truth that God is great at being a Savior. Go over to Hebrews. i got to hurry up. I didn't realize how long I had already preached. I looked up, I was like 1130. That's terrible. Um, Hebrews chapter 2. I promise I won't preach all day. We'll take the break in the middle, I promise, all right? We may come back to the greatness of God, but uh, it's pretty hard not to talk about that. He had to Hebrews chapter 2, and he asked, some, he asked an amazing question. 
after chapter 1, which by the way, if you've never read Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1 is one of the most beautifully written chapters in all of the Bible. I mean, it just starts amazing. But after he talks about how he has sent his son and how he died for us and he put him back on a throne, he says in verse number, uh, uh, of course, uh, chapter 2, he says in verse number one, therefore we ought to give the more, more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. You ought to pay attention to what God's trying to tell you. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, God gave you what you deserved, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not uh, put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak and so on. He's going to keep going. I won't keep reading all that. Uh, ultimately, he starts this off by his son Jesus Christ shows up and the Lord speaks and everybody that heard him and everybody that testified and everybody who spoke about it, they all keep testifying about what great things God has done and his answer is how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? God brought a great salvation because he is merciful and because he is loving and because he is faithful, he sends his son to die for our sins and to pay the debt of all of our sins because you know what God's trying to do? He is a great God who is trying to go ahead and take a great sinner and make them part of his family. We deserve a just condemnation. That's what he said in verse 2. The just recompense of what we've done. We deserve what we're about to get in a lake of fire for all of eternity because we are a great sinner. And God says, don't worry about that. I have taken care of all of that if you're willing. Because he's a great God, he had to bring a great salvation. There's no other way to fix a great iniquity than without a, with a if you don't have a great salvation, how do you get out of a great iniquity? It just doesn't happen. You needed something amazing to happen that nobody else could do. You realize that the world wants to go ahead and figure out this idea of saving themselves. And so they get their religion. And this is where we get into that idea of, guess what? Their God's not my God. Their God dictates religion. And you can build your way and get to God. And if I clean up enough, and if I do enough, if I'm good enough, I can go ahead and I can get to God. And God says, no, I'm holy in your great iniquity. How do you get over to me? I am great and you are great iniquity. That's what you are. How do you get over to great holiness when you're great iniquity? Well, by human means, there's no crossing that. You are not getting back over to the other side. You aren't making it over to have fellowship with a holy God because you're not holy. And so he turns around Ephesians chapter 2. You have verse number 1. He says, And you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You realize his great love wherewith he loved us? That love is the only means that you and I have to have our pardon of sins forgiven because he's merciful to us and he wants to forgive and he wants to take care of it and he wants to make sure that we're secured and he is faithful to forgive because he's promised to forgive. He's faithful to go ahead and have mercy on us because he's a merciful God who wants to redeem and he wants to forgive and he wants to secure you forever a home in heaven. And he's willing. He's willing to clear. He's willing to pardon. He's a reasonable God. 
By the way, he's great because he's reasonable. We'll get into all that. I'll be here another hour. You realize God is rich in mercy and he extends his love to someone who doesn't deserve it. And he gives them a gift of grace, eternal life. If they would be willing to accept the one payment he made for all of their sins. How do I get how do I get that kind of how do I get that kind of forgiveness? The answer is very simple. Accept what God did. God set up the plan. God designed it. God went ahead and executed his plan, and his plan was, my son, I will give him. Most famous verse probably in all of the Bible is John 3.16. Almost everybody in the room could quote it. Maybe everybody in the room, I don't know. Right? For God so loved, look at that, the world, all them wicked people, including you, that he gave. Well, what did he give up? His only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Gave him, why? That whosoever believeth in him. Question of belief, what am I going to believe? Now, what am I going to do? So what am I going to believe? Religion is what am I going to do? Christ is what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe me? Or are you going to do? You feel free. You can do whatever you want to do. But doing lands you with a group of great iniquity because the only one who can forgive sins is God alone. And he devised the means to make sure that you and I could have our sins forgiven forever. And he says, okay, whosoever believeth on him should not perish. Well, everybody dies. Not that death. He contrasts it, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He says, you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sin. I just read it. Ephesians chapter 2. He brought you to life again. Because he doesn't want you to perish for all of eternity. It's his great love that made it possible for you and I to have our sins forgiven forever. It's you and I who get forgiveness because for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God took care of making sure you could be forgiven if you'd call upon the only one who could forgive you. You want a great salvation? It's the fact that God would take your sin and give you his righteousness for free. That's, I, I don't about, I, you know, some people, they don't really understand what a great deal is. Right? They overpay for everything. They never look around to see if there's anywhere else they could get the exact same thing for, you know, a third of the cost. And they always pay more. And you know what they don't realize? I realize what a great deal is. This morning, I want you to know there's a great deal. This agreement is fantastic. And the fantastic agreement is God paid for all of your sins. You don't have to pay for any of them. If you'd be willing to believe him. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The simplicity of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for your sins, he was buried, and he rose again, and all it takes is trust in that he did it for you. It's not hard to figure out we're in great iniquity. Don't miss out on the fact that there's a great Savior. He is a great God. Lastly, because I'm going to combine all these last three points right here. Because if I don't, we're going to be here all day. I'd like you to have lunch so that you're not completely famished by the evening service, all right? So I'm going to give you all, all of these. I'm going to count this all under the same premise of the innumerable things God gives and does because he's great. He's just great. He is great to us. If you're saved in here, He is great to you. 
if you're lost in here, he is great to you. So how do you know that? You're still breathing and he gave you another chance to hear Jesus Christ died for your sins. He's great. He is great for all the things that he has done. He is great for all the things he's doing right now that you and I don't even know about. He is great for all the things he's about to do in the future that you and I know some of and can see him getting ready to do and some stuff you and I have no clue what he's about to do. He's great. He is great because he understands and he knows and you and I, we just get to watch him be great. We marvel at his greatness. I'm going to give you a few things. You can write down a bunch of references, all right? Uh, and uh, if you want to write them down, you can look them up later. You get a 2 Samuel chapter 23. You start reading about David's mighty men. You know what you find out? Twice in the chapter, you know what he says? And the Lord wrought a great victory. You want victories in your life? You tired of losing? He's got a great victory if you want it. Realize the greatest victories you'll ever get in your life is because Jesus Christ fought and got you a victory. It's the greatest victories you'll ever have. He's the one who gives victories. He's great. You only get it through Him because He's a great God who gives great victories. Uh, he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, He reminds us that whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. You know what you've got? You've got some great promises from God, Christian. You've got amazing, great and He's got them all, and they're lined up. And the problem is Christians don't read, and they don't go and find them. Go find the promises. Well, what could God do? Read the Bible. Find out what He could do. He's amazing, and He's promised some things. We go ahead and we hold on to these few that we try and know, and people grab onto like, well, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. How about you find some other verses? How about you start getting a little more specific? You realize he can do all things. I get it. But maybe you ought to give him a few more verses to work with. So he can be great. He wants to be great. That's just who he is. That's why he tells you in Jeremiah 33.3, right? Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest. He wants to be great. That's who he is. Christian, you want him to be great in your life. You've got to ask him to be. You want him to be great? Believe he's great. You know he brought you a great salvation. How about you trust that he's going to be great to you today? Christians live in these doldrums and they act like God doesn't care. Or God doesn't going to do it. Well, God will do it for them, but he won't do it for me. Why? He saved you just like he saved me. He's a great God to you just like he's a great God to me. And he wants to be great for you. He's a great God. He wants to forgive you. He wants to work with you. He wants to help you. He wants to give you a victory. He wants to come through on every promise he's ever made. He wants to do it. Why don't you let him? Why don't you recognize that he's great to you? He says in, in Mark chapter 5, he, he says, uh, uh, right, you got the, the devil possessed man, right? He's coming out. The Gadarene's there. He wants to go with Jesus on the boat. Jesus tells him, no, 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 don't come with me. Go back and tell them. Tell them what? Tell them what great things the Lord hath done for you. Guy's been saved for five minutes. You know what he knows? God's great. It doesn't take a genius to figure out God's great. And it doesn't take him long to do great things. We just don't think about how great he is. You realize that when he went back and he published it, how great things Jesus had done for him. Verse number 20 there in Mark chapter 5, he says, And all men did marvel. Nobody ever marvels at what God does for me. Probably because you don't tell them. How are they supposed to marvel when you don't talk about him? He says in Psalm 126, verse 2 and 3, he says, Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Look at that. By the way, laughter and singing. I'm going to slide this in. Brother Andrew will enjoy it. If you can't laugh and you can't sing, I don't think you're thinking about how great God is to you. 
So how do you know that? Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. How's the lost world know what God's done? Because of your laughter and your singing. The Lord hath done great things for us, wherefore we are glad. Christians, why are you so sour-faced all the time? Well, God didn't do it the way I wanted to. Yeah, but he did something. And when's the last time God didn't do something great? He doesn't know how to do anything but be great. We think we know better. God knows everything and he knows he's great. He has never failed to be great. Not once. Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high, who has done great things. O God, who is like unto thee? The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure in them. Maybe God doesn't do great things for you because you don't look for him to do great things. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Are you seeking them? When's the last time you gave God an opportunity to be great for you? Sad reality is you don't often give him a chance to be great. And he ends up waiting for an opportunity to show off his greatness. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, I'll end here. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. Well, why should I serve him? Why should I fear him? For consider how great things he hath done for you. Why should I serve God? Why should I do anything for God? Why should I be a witness? Why should I be at church? Why should I be? Why should I? Why should I? Why should I? Real simple. I'll clear it all up right now. Why should I do any of those things? Because God's been great to you. You know what the servant's answer is? We are unprofitable servants and have done only that which is our duty to do. And he's still good to them. You and I will be blessed beyond measure just doing our duty. Because God doesn't know how to do anything but be great. He is a great God. He is a great Savior. And he does great things if you'd be willing to let him. Let's go ahead and stand. If you're in here this morning,